You are currently listening to a Suffolk free radio podcast. The views and opinions expressed on the best of Beantown podcast are the views and opinions of the show personalities only and do not reflect those of Suffolk University, Suffolk free radio, or those of the student leadership and involvement office. Adult language may be used. Listener discretion is advised. and welcome to episode four of the best of beantown podcast we had a lot of stuff happen in the sports world this week i'm one of your hosts josh to along here with chris lewa and james sampson how are you guys doing today better than i was last week so i'm excited to get this going yeah, i'm doing good Talking yeah. sports. well it was a little bit better week for the celtics but first we had some big news break out of the nfl this week i hope you guys heard because a lot of heads turned. J.J. Watt is headed to Arizona to join the Arizona Cardinals and Kyler Murray and Chandler Jones on that defensive line. He signed a two-year $31 million contract with $23 million guaranteed. Chris, what do you think this means for the Cardinals, and is this the piece that's going to actually take them over the top in that, in that very competitive division? Yeah, I don't think it'll necessarily be the piece that'll take them over the edge. I do think it is an amazing addition for their defense, like you mentioned right there. Him and Chandler Jones on that defensive line is going to be terrifying. I just, I still think the Cardinals may need a, another offensive weapon or two, and then maybe another nice, def- another nice defender, maybe another linebacker, defensive back. There's still a question if they're going to bring back Patrick Peterson, but I think. As of right now, that is a very great move for the Cardinals. Very surprising move, too. And I, he, he'll definitely have a huge impact on the defense. I just don't know if it's necessarily enough that'll get him through that tough division. James? Yeah, I was. I don't think that was the first destination I thought of um, when, it, when it happened. But it'd be interesting to see him pair back up with DeAndre Hopkins. I want to see... Obviously, they have some unfinished business that they'd like to get to. Um, the, and the question, does it put them over the edge? I don't think so, just because of where J.J. Watt is at this part of his career. But that de- defense has been building up over the years with Buda Baker. We'll see if they bring back Peterson, Chandler Jones, J.J. Watt. So they're going to be able to get pressure on the quarterback for sure with those two coming off the edge. Um, and I don't think this will impact – what will happen with Russell Wilson too much. I think he was already going to leave anyways. I think the cards are in his favor ever since Paul Allen died and his wife, Jody Allen took over. I think that team has been in a whole different direction and I think he holds all the power. And I think this has no bearings on if Russell Wilson leaves Seattle. I think he, I think he will actually leave Seattle. Um, I don't know what you think on that, Josh. Yeah, James, you just touched on it. Um, Chris, I want to ask you, do you think that this move by the Cardinals impacts Russell Wilson leaving the Seahawks after he's been pretty much airing his grievances publicly? So has the team through rumors, through um, uh, reporters like Adam Schefter and stuff, just completely complaining both parties about the other. Do you think this eventually is going to be one of the main factors that forces him to leave the NFC West? I don't think it'll be one of the main factors. It definitely is going to be a huge factor since now that's just another amazing defensive lineman in the NFC West. I think like I think it's pretty clear Russell Wilson doesn't want to be in Seattle. Not that he doesn't want to be in Seattle anymore. I think he's he has a better chance of winning if he goes somewhere else. The addition of J.J. Watt definitely doesn't help the chances of him staying there. But it's at the same time, I don't really know if the – Uh, Seahawks will actually end up trading him at any point he hasn't demanded a trade like Deshaun Watson he said he wants to stay in Seattle but he gave his preferred destinations so it's a it's a little bit of a slippery slope I definitely think the I don't think the Seattle Seahawks are going to be as good this year now especially with another nice defender in the division but it's to be determined in my eyes listen man I believe in Kyler Murray I will ride or die with that man 100%. Last year, before the season started, everyone was picking Russell Wilson as the MVP candidate. I put money down 
well, not literally, but I put money down on Kyler Murray being the MVP. And for a stretch of the season, he was. He was playing absolutely incredible, especially that – I don't know if you guys remember that Sunday night game where they played against Russell Wilson in Arizona. They always seem to just completely create a huge, amazing game on Sunday night. But the Cardinals – were fant- were a great team early in the start of the year before early in the start of the year before they just started going down the hill and collapsing. Um, I don't know if JJ Watt is going to fix that issue, um, but I believe in Kyler Murray. He's grown every single season since he's been in the league, so I am very excited to see what he does. Especially that connection with DeAndre Hopkins last year it was amazing. Especially that hail mary that he had against Buffalo, that was insane. I believe in Kyler Murray, and I think another veteran and leadership presence like J.J. Watt on this team is definitely going to help out on the defensive side, especially with Patrick Peterson getting up there in age. Chandler Jones is getting up there also, but um, it's going to be a very big help for that defense to have another great pass rusher, even though he's not what he's used to be, but he's still a very good elite pass rusher um, when he wants to be. So I'm very excited about the possibility and prospects of what the Cardinals are going to be able to do this upcoming season. But one thing that also happened that I want to ask, ask you guys is that J.J. Watt, when he went to Arizona, he's going to be wearing number 99. And for those of you, for those of you who don't know, number 99 was retired by the Cardinals um, earlier. It, was used, it used to be worn by um, Cardinals legend Marshall Goldberg. Um, he was a legendary halfback and a defensive back for the Chicago Cardinals. That's way before they relocated. Um, He played during 1939 to 1943, and then later on 1946 to 1948. And he missed those two seasons in the middle of his career to serve in the Navy in World War II. He made four um, All-Pros. He was a member of the College Football Hall of Fame, and he passed away in 2006, but his daughter gave permission to J.J. Watt to wear his number, which is number 99. And this is not ha- this has happened before to other players where teams have unretired jersey numbers. It happened when Peyton Manning went to, Den- went to Denver. The Broncos unretired Frank Tr- Trupicas, who was a longtime old quarterback way back then. And then when Jerry Rice went to Seattle, he uh, the Seahawks unretired Steve Largent's number 80 for him. So I want to ask you guys, do you think it's unethical for teams to unretire jersey numbers that they've already retired? I don't think it's unethical. Um, it does happen, like you just mentioned, quite often. I just think it's kind of um, pointless because what is the point of retiring a number if you can just unretire it? I think in this situation, of course, um, his daughter gave permission for Watt to wear it. So, of, of course, Watt's going to take advantage of that. But I think, you know, re- numbers are retired for a reason, and I think they should stay retired. The one exception I can think of is the um, Jackie Robinson's number in baseball. Um, I think I, I love that they always have Jackie Robinson's day and they all wear the same number. Uh, that, something like that, I think, can happen. But I think when you retire a number – it's because it it was obviously retired for a reason, and I think it should stay retired. I'm sure J.J. Watt would have been able to change his number if he couldn't get number 99 to come to Arizona. So that's just my two, two cents on it. So I guess I don't really have a problem with it. I mean, like we've already established, it has been done multiple times before in the past. I just think the tricky thing about retiring and unretiring numbers in football is the sheer fact of how many players are actually on the team. And so you have to have enough numbers to fit for everyone. And that's why there aren't very many numbers retired in the NFL nowadays. But going back to fits, if it's unethical or not, I don't really think it's unethical. Like we said, he was given permission. I, If I'm correct, I believe a couple of years ago when Kevin Durant was making his uh, free agency after – Oklahoma City when there was rumors of him possibly going to the Celtics uh someone in Reggie Lewis's family who used to war wear number 35 when he was on the Celtics like someone in his family gave permission to Kate for KD to wear it when if he decided to sign the Celtics he obviously didn't but I just don't think it's that big of an issue it's just kind of tough since football doesn't really retire a lot of numbers to begin with yeah so 
one question I would also like to pose to you guys, because the Patriots are without a doubt, they're going to retire number 12 someday. We just don't know when, because we don't know when Brady's going to retire because he's been playing for so many years. Um, do you think that it would be okay if the Patriots did unretire um, Tom Brady's number 12, say that it was laid up in the rafters. Do you think any player besides Brady deserves to wear that number for the rest of the um, years of the franchise? I think number 12 could be retired by the, all of the NFL, to be honest with you, because I think Tom Brady is in a whole different tier. Marshall Goldberg did play a long time ago, and he was a legendary halfback, but I think Tom Brady is honestly in a different category, and especially for the Patriots, they should not unretire that number for anyone else. But I honestly think that Tom Brady has meant so much to football, and we haven't seen any, any winner like that before. He's won more Super Bowls than all, any other franchise has um, with seven. So I honestly think that he could be the last person to wear number 12, and I'd be completely fine with that. I don't think that it'll be retired across the entire NFL. I get your point, James, of it possibly being retired because of the impact he had. But there's also been so many other great quarterbacks that have also worn number 12. So it's kind of a tough situation to do that. In terms of the Patriots retiring number 12, like whether they officially retire or not, I don't think anyone should ever really wear that number again for the Patriots for those kinds, kinds of reasons. And if anyone ever does decide to, I think they're just going to receive hell from Boston media because of it. So I don't like, it just, it's just tough to retire a number across an entire sport. What, like if I feel like the NBA could have done that with Michael Jordan in 23, but obviously they never did that. So retiring it in New England, I can see, but retiring across the league, I can't really see that happening. That is another, that's actually another funny thing. So Michael Jordan's number was retired by the Bulls right after his first retirement. But then after he came back, they unretired it. But he didn't end up wearing number 23 anyway. So, I mean, um, anyways, yeah, that's going to do it. James, what do we got up next? Well, believe it or not, the Celtics are on a three-game winning streak, and they've won three straight close games, which kind of goes against what I've been saying, us not having a closer. Um, what do you guys think's been, like, the big factor in the fact that they've won three games straight? Chris, I'll start with you. Um, Robert Williams, to be honest. I mean, we've been saying for weeks that the Celtics need a legit big man down low. And whenever Robert Williams has been getting actual playing time, he seems to be that legit big man. He obviously isn't a superstar yet. He's only averaging, like, I believe in the past couple of games, he's averaging, like, just over 10 points and just under 10 rebounds, which, I mean, I'll take that every night from him at just 10 and 10 every night. I think that's exactly something the Celtics need. So I think he's been one of the most crucial parts in terms of this winning streak. It's just, if he can be consistent and get those consistent minutes is going to be determined by Brad Stevens, who's kind of been reluctant to play him. But the thing, the biggest thing with Rob Williams, which I've been a pretty good, pretty big fan of his for a while and saying he's been needing more minutes for years I don't think people really understand that if he went to the NBA after his freshman year of college, he would have been a top 10 pick. Like that was every projection for him. Then he goes back his sophomore year and drops to like the late first round. So I think he could be what the Celtics need if they decide to not make a move at the deadline. Yeah, the Celtics. Do you think, um... Oh, go ahead, James. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, Josh, do you think uh, Brad Stevens heard your take? Because uh, they seem to be headed in the right direction since you were fired up last week. You know what? Ever since, because right after I gave that take, he said he had the worst week of his professional career. He had his identity stolen. He had, um, they were on a losing streak. I forget, but he had another thing happen to him. And I was like, dude, Jesus Christ, that's, that's rough. But here they are. They've won three straight. And can, I apologize for my slander to Kemba Walker last week. Because he showed up these last three games and he's played incredibly well. But like Chris said, Robert Williams has been just incredible. That um, game last night against the Clippers, make no mistake about it. He in those in those last two minutes, his play on the boards won us that game. It he was making, he was completely out rebounding every other player on the floor. And I'm like, oh my god, the Celtics have a presence in the paint that can get the get ball get the balls. And I'm like, this is 
this is amazing to me. So I want to see him play more minutes in the future. Um, but I also am very happy that the Celtics are actually finally back on track. They're above 500 again, which is thank the Lord for that. Cause <laughs> God knows if they were under 500 and they're back in, I believe fourth place in the Eastern conference. Um, so James, what about you? What did you think? Yeah, I mean, you touched on the good points. Um, I also was a little bit – had too much Kemba slander because he seems like he's kind of found out how to score the basketball again, which is great news for everybody. Um, I still think we don't have that identity. Like, I'll go back on I still think we need to find our identity. I think Jason Tatum can still take the next step forward. Um, Obviously, three straight games is great. But, um, you know, the middle of the the East is all – it's getting pretty tight, I think. I was looking at the standings the other day. It looked like five, maybe six teams all had 17 losses. So I think this is a great start, but this is just the beginning. I think we, we need to keep it up. And I'm looking forward to Marcus Smart coming back and bringing back some of that defensive intensity. Going off of that point you just made, James, I've been like, I've been keeping up on the Eastern Conference standings the past couple of days. Game or two games separate the fourth and tenth seeds in the Eastern Conference, and then four games separate the fourth and thirteenth. And I wanted to bring that up today because it just shows that, like, if you have a funk like the Celtics had two weeks ago, like if you just lose a couple games consecutively, you could be screwed for quite a while. Obviously, the Celtics were able to bounce back and get back towards the upper half of the Eastern Conference standings. But it's just crazy what one bad streak can do to a team currently with the way the East is shaped up right now. Yeah, definitely. The Raptors have come back in the second half of this year. They were playing terrible. They were on the bottom tier of the Eastern Conference standings. But now they're fifth right behind the Celtics. Um, the Heat are also back up there. They're one game under 500 right now, but I'm sure, and I'm confident that Eric Spolster is going to get that team where they need to be. Um, but this resembles a lot of what the Western Conference has kind of looked like in the past couple of years, where there's so many great teams at the top, but then right below, there's a bunch of middle-tier solid teams that can make the playoffs, but there's only so many spots. So um, it's kind of interesting seeing how the dynamic has changed between the conferences. Like I remember when LeBron was here, he just completely dominated the East and no one else honestly had a shot, no matter how good they were, even when, with Paul George's Pacers. Um, but yeah, James, what about you? Did anything about that stand out or any teams in the Eastern conference stand out to you as possibly leapfrogging the Celtics as the fourth seed right now? I think they all have the potential to, I think, I think there are some pretenders. Like, I don't think the Knicks will be able to continue this throughout the year. But that also could be because, you know, my memory's a little skewed from the last 20 years of them being one of the worst teams in basketball. So, um, you know, unless that really isn't a fluke, I don't see them sticking around. But I think all of those teams there that are right in there from the 4th to 10th, I think they all can be in it. Um, There's really no team to me that sticks out. I think the Celtics shouldn't be in there in, in that situation. I think they should be at the top. Um, obviously, we've had a rough beginning. But, um, yeah, I think obviously as the games go on, it's going to clear out, and we'll see who's really um, a contender and not a pretender. Uh, the only team like I'm, that I'm thinking of that doesn't really belong there is probably the New York Knicks. Uh, I know Julius Randle is having a breakout year. Um, seven years into his career, he's having a breakout year, which is kind of crazy, but – yeah, I don't know. Am I missing a team, Chris? What do you think? I forget if one of you mentioned it, but I mean, just like how the Celtics and Raptors have kind of had their struggles all season long, so have the Miami Heat. I believe they were like towards the bottom of the East standings at one point, and now they're currently seventh, and I'm pretty certain that they'll also find their groove like the Celtics and Raptors have lately and find their way back towards the top of the Eastern Conference standings, but uh, in terms of like peep overachievers, I do see your point on the Knicks James. I don't want to call the Hornets overachievers because I'm looking right now, they're 16 and 18, but they could also make a run or not. But I don't, I don't really think there are t- too many teams, like you said, besides the Knicks that are really overachieving right now. I think the standings are about as accurate as they should be. Granted that like two games separate eight different teams right now. Yeah, the Sixers currently have the top seed in the East. They're 23-12. and 12. 
Um, the Nets are a half game behind them at 23 and 13. Then comes the Bucks at 21 and 14. And then it just completely drops off with the Celtics at the four seed who are 18 and 17. And then all the other teams like we've talked about are just completely neck and neck. So kind of going off that and looking at a bigger picture, has there been any teams that have stood out to you now that we're almost right at the midway point for the entire NBA season? So whether it be the East or be the West, have any teams or players stood out to you um, guys this season? I would say the top two teams in the West right now, the Jazz and the Suns. Obviously, the Jazz have been a pretty good all-around team the past couple of years. I just don't think halfway through the season anyone expected them to be the number one seed in the West. And I'm pretty sure, yeah, they also have the best record in the league. And then also the Suns at 23-11. and 11. Suns have been pretty bad over the past couple of years, but the backcourt of Chris Paul and Devin Booker have been – pretty damn good so far and looks like they might be able to keep it up throughout the rest of the season James yeah I would definitely say the Jazz are a big surprise team they might be the best team in the NBA um, another surprise team is one that we were just talking about the New York Knicks I mean I guess 18 and 18 shouldn't be too much of a surprise that's 500 but for them I think that's a pretty big surprise um, obviously looking at the Western Conference standings it's weird to see the Rockets down at 14th. Obviously, we all know what happened to that team. You know, losing James Harden, kind of losing their identity. Uh, they're actually on a 12-game losing streak, which is uh, – that's pretty bad. Um, so, those teams are a surprise to me. Um, a team that I think could be sneaky would be the Warriors there at number eight in the Western Conference. I think Steph Curry is finding his mojo back. Um I think they have a collection of good young players there with Kelly Oubre. Uh, Andrew Wiggins, I think, is finally having a pretty decent year. So I think that team would be a surprise team to look out for. Um, but in, in terms of disappointments, I guess I could say the Hawks at 11, just because I thought that team was going to be a little bit better this year with all those young players playing together. I thought they were going to take another step forward. Uh, John Collins, Trey Young, um, their small forward, I forget his – first name but uh hunter um i thought that team would be a little bit better than 15 and 20 and that's probably has to do with why trey young didn't make the all-star team but um and then the heat as well the heat have been underwhelming for sure they're 17 and 18 i know jimmy butler was hurt for a little bit but i think they're a better team than that as we saw in the bubble uh, last year so i think that would be my surprises for me yeah like you guys both touched on the Suns and the Jazz have just completely blown everybody away with how good they've been. The Suns, if you remember, down at the bubble last year, they went 8-0, eight, eight and, oh, and they almost made that last seed in the Western Conference playoffs, but they just missed it. And they've completely continued that trend. They're 23-11, and 11, which I just find amazing. They beat the Lakers last night, even though the Lakers were without Anthony Davis, but LeBron and Dennis Schroeder did play. But the Suns and Devin Booker and Chris Paul – are playing fantastic basketball right now. So it's very um, exciting to see that. Because I remember Charles Barkley absolutely going on rants on NBA on TNT, talking about the stale cheese and the nachos and in Phoenix because of how bad that basketball team was. So, um, yeah, it's kind of refreshing to see these two teams right at the top of the West. I'm actually kind of disappointed a little bit in the Clippers. I thought that they would – honestly be a little bit better than they have because everyone was talking about them this being a redemption year after they got bounced um, in the playoffs last year before the um, right before the NBA finals and um, all that so all that stuff's been going on I'm kind of also surprised the Spurs are number five that's a bit of a shocker to me I'm well I just Greg Popovich hasn't had much to work with to be honest since um, the big three in Manu, Duncan, and Parker all kind of got old and they all veered off. So the Spurs up there at five, that's a little bit surprising to me. The Nuggets are set, are the seventh seed. They were the second seed, if you guys remember, last season. And they almost beat the Lakers. Um, but they came back against the Jazz, and then they came back against the Rockets in big comebacks. So it's a little bit disappointing to see the Nuggets not performing as well. But we all touched on the Eastern Conference standings. The Sixers, Doc Rivers has that team playing very well. I think they're a lot better team with him at the helm rather than Brett Brown. 
was. So they're a very dangerous team. I think that they're definitely in contention to be in the finals. It's probably going to end up, honestly, coming down to them in Brooklyn, I believe. In the East, that might be an obvious thing to say. But I just don't see Giannis taking that next step, and I don't know if the Celtics will be able to beat either of those two teams, especially Brooklyn, with how much firepower on offense that they have. But, yeah, those are the things that at least stood out to me. Um, moving on one, a little oh, – go ahead. I was going to just – I was going to say one more disappointment that we didn't really talk about is the Dallas Mavericks right now at 10th place in the West – Coming into the season, everyone really thought this was going to be like Luca's MVP type of year, and it just hasn't really looked like that. I believe he's still averaging almost like 39, 30 points, nine rebounds, and nine assists, somewhere around there right now, but he just hasn't been able to carry them like people thought he would. Granted, Kristaps Porzingis has been hurt a good amount of the season, so that definitely doesn't help them at all. And that's just another disappointment for that we d- didn't really talk about yet. What I will say about Kristaps Porzingis, in Dallas, I would say that he's been a disappointment so far. He's not been that same player that New York, the New York Knicks just raved about. And um, Luca, he's been playing very well. He's the triple-double machine now because Westbrook isn't able to get the, the consistency in those numbers anymore. But Luca is because he's a lot younger um, and he's a lot more the centerpiece of that team. But, yeah, I'm kind of surprised to see the Mavericks not doing so well, especially down at 10th. I would have expected them to at least be on the, like, right along the fringe between the 7th and 8th seats. But they're hovering just above 500 right now. It is a bit disappointing. But they were able to beat the Celtics the other day, so they managed to do that. (laughs) Um, James, what about you? Anything else you want to touch on? Yeah, I just wanted to say, uh, to touch on the Kristaps uh, Porzingis situation, um, he's basically in Dallas. Dallas is getting the Kristaps that New York deserved after booing him uh, with the fourth pick on draft night. So, yeah, I th- definitely think Dallas should be better. I don't think – I know, Chris, you kind of already mentioned that he's almost averaging a triple-double, so I don't really think it's Luca's fault that they're at 10th. I, I don't really know what's the issue there. Um uh, I guess it's probably the supporting cast, honestly, because after Chris Stapps, it's it gets kind of thin. I mean, Celtics legend Dwight Powell is pretty good, I guess. But, um, yeah, as far as – I'm trying to see here real quick if there's anything that's really surprising. I mean, you already touched on the Nuggets. Um, you know, the bottom is what the bottom usually is, the Pistons, uh, the Timberwolves. Um, what about your Sacramento Kings? Do you think that they should be better than 13 and 21, Josh? We're not going to talk about that. <laughs> um, I mean, they're above the Rockets. I mean, yay. I wouldn't. Uh, yeah, that's true. I mean, I guess before last year, I wouldn't think you could say that. So, you know, the Thunder traded away everybody to get first round draft picks, and they're doing better than we are right now. But <laughs> shout out um, the Thunder. <laughs> Oh, God. Anyway, moving on from basketball, spring training started just earlier this week, so that means we had some actual Red Sox games being played. Um, I don't know if you guys were able to tune in to any of them because they were all mostly early in the day, but there were a couple of big wins by the Red Sox, even though it was a lot of prospects (laughs) and much less their starters playing. Um, But we did get to see J.D. Martinez – Going off, they still have more games to be played. But he's been at the plate five times, and he has two hits, and he scored one run, which is very exciting for me because he played like crap last year. Um, but anyway, anything stand out to you guys if you did watch the spring training games for the Red Sox so far? Do you want to go first, James? Well, I guess I can go off of J.D. Martinez a little bit. I'm, I'm hoping for a bounce back year from J.D. He's been saying all the right things this offseason. He's been saying that he wants to retire a Red Sox. Um, we all know the type of hitter that he can be. I hope he doesn't fall back into the hitter he was um, when he got released by the Astros where he couldn't figure out how to hit a curveball. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I don't have too much excitement for the Red Sox this year just based on the moves we've been doing. I think this is kind of a bridge year. But, you know, 2013 was also supposed to be a bridge year, and we've turned that into a championship. I know that, you know, the Boston Strong movement and 
the Boston Marathon bombing had a lot to do with that, but I'm excited. I'm excited for baseball. Baseball means good weather is coming back. And, you know, I don't have high, I don't have a high, um, what do you call it? Expectations for the Red Sox. But, um, yeah, I'm definitely, definitely, if we're talking about one player, I think JD Martinez will bounce back. Um, and I think we'll see the player that we saw a couple years ago for sure. Yeah, James, you touched on it right before. So I, oh. right before you go, Chris. My bad. My bad. Um, now we've talked a lot about what um, we've complained more so a lot about what the moves that the Red Sox have made. What are some things that you actually want to see from the players that are currently on this team from this upcoming season? Where do you want to see improvement? Where do you want to see guys getting more games being played? Who do you want to see in our starting rotation, et cetera, stuff like that? I, I can go. Uh, so I really don't think the offense is going to be a problem whatsoever for the Red Sox this year. Cause I mean, even the past two years when they haven't been at the top of the AL East, they have still had one of the best offenses in the entire, in, in the entire game. It's definitely going to hurt that Ben Intendi's gone, although he kind of struggled last year, but the offense in general, I'm not too worried about. I think this season has everything to do with the pitching and I forget what I was watching, but uh, someone was saying that uh, the Red Sox have six or seven legitimate starting pitchers this year, which we haven't been able to say for a long time. I don't think all six or seven will actually be starters, but the fact that we have that kind of depth and players to actually go deep into games, which we haven't been able to do lately, I think that's going to be crucial for the Red Sox. And I think I think the Red Sox can surprise a bunch of people this year, just all depending on what that pitching does. So I just hope they play just mediocre at Mediocre at the worst. If the Sox have mediocre pitching, I think they can still do some kind of damage. Yeah, I'd like to see for sure coming up this season to see Jeter Downs take a step forward. So I feel a little bit better about getting a trade. Locked. Um, well, so far it's been a trade rate. We'll have to see. I think we can turn it around if uh, Jeter Downs comes in and becomes a uh, you know, serviceable player for the next few years. I don't know if he's ready yet. I don't know how much time he'll see this year. Um, but, like, you know, just seeing steps forward by um, Verdugo. Hopefully Devers can take another step forward, especially defensively. Obviously, we know what he brings to the dish. I'd like to see him maybe get his conditioning under under better so he can be a better fielder. But, um, yeah, Chris, like you said, I don't think the offense will be a problem. The pitching has kind of been it. I also want to see if um, Bobby uh, Dalback can continue what he kind of had going at the end of the year last year. That was kind of one of the bright bright spots from the team. So I'm not too concerned about the offense. I, I'd like to see how the pitching turns out, especially with Chris Sale. Hopefully he can come back. Um, he's kind of getting up there in age. So I'm not – once again, it sounds like I'm a big downer on the Red Sox, but we'll have to see. We'll have to see how it plays out. I think we'll know – you know, by the trade deadline, what kind of team this is going to be. Yeah. Um, one thing that I'm very um, apprehensive about seeing is that I'm very worried about Devers potentially becoming another Will Middlebrooks for us, where if you guys remember Will Middlebrooks, Will, oh my God, I can't say his name, Jesus. Will Middlebrooks had a great starter season for the Red Sox, but shortly after he kind of petered off a little bit before we traded him away. Um, I'm hoping that that's not the case for Devers where he's already hit his peak, but pitchers are starting to see him a little bit more. Um, and he's, they're able to find out his weaknesses and his production starts going down. So I'm actually kind of worried about that, but I do believe in the end Devers will end up being a very long time third baseman for this team. But um, speaking of third baseman, we got to see Nolan Arenado for the first time in the Cardinals uniform earlier this spring training after he was traded by the Rockies earlier this offseason. Um, he went 0 for 2 in his first game. He struck out, I believe, both times. But first at bat, he definitely did strike out. But he did get a good brief moment from the fans. Um, anyway, is there any other news in spring training that you guys wanted to talk about? Yeah, I think uh, one potential pitcher for the Red Sox that could have a legit breakout year is uh, Nick Pavetta. We traded 
got him in a trade with the Phillies last year. I believe it was the Brandon Workman trade, if I'm correct. And from a couple of things I've been reading, like a lot of people in the Red Sox organization believe he could have a huge breakout year. It was just a matter of a change of scenery for him to really uh, turn things around. So that could be a name to look for as the season gets going. Yeah. All right. So moving on, the NFL draft is coming right up. Um, a lot of players are, a lot of rumors are circulating um, potential players about where they're going to go, what destinations they're going to be headed to. So I wanted to ask you, cause I'm going to read off the top, um, the order for this upcoming NFL draft for the order of teams that are going to be picking. Um, we have the Jaguars at number one, the Jets at two, the Dolphins at number three via the Texans pick, then the Falcons, the Bengals, the Eagles, Lions, Panthers, Broncos, and Cowboys at 10. Um, which of those 10 teams do you think is in the worst and or best position right now? And do you think that there's any potential that they end up possibly trading with the Patriots who for once might actually end up trading in the first round because of how high their draft pick is? Well, looking at it quickly, I think the Dolphins are definitely in the best position. Uh, their draft pick at number three wasn't even from theirs. It was from uh, the Houston Texans. So I think they're in the best position right now. And I know that the Dolphins as well as the Jets both have two um, first-round picks, I think, this year and next year. So, And they're both picking in the top ten. So they have a lot of draft capital. So it would be interesting to see what they do if they um, – you know, trade their picks and go after a player. Um, as far as trading with the Patriots, um, I'm not sure if we would have enough to move up into the top 10, unless we include that 15 pick and maybe something else. Um, but unfortunately for the Patriots as well, most of these teams in the first 10 also need a quarterback. So I think if quarterbacks start flying off the board, I, I think we're going to stay, stay pat at 15 and probably take – someone on the defensive end probably not even take a quarterback so what do you think at, out of the top 10 teams that we're looking at two of the names that kind of like piqued my interest and like I just don't really see good coming from them in this draft would be the Detroit Lions and the Cincinnati Bengals I just think the current state of those two franchises they're just kind of screwed regardless of what they really do obviously with the Bengals you got Joe Burrow who was the number one pick last year they just really need to get him an offensive lineman in order for them to be a competent team which I think they can do I just don't know if this draft will help them with that. And then obviously the Lions just traded away Matt Stafford. They're bringing in a new coach, whole new scheme. I just think it's going to be a struggle for them to kind of improve from where they're at right now. In terms of the Patriots, I don't really see them making any move in the first round. And I hope if they do make a move, it's not for a quarterback because I've been hearing a lot of Mac Jones to the Patriots talk, and I'm not going to doubt that he has potential to be great in the NFL. I just don't know if I want him on the Patriots. I think it's just – I just can't see the Patriots going for a quarterback in the first round. And I don't know, it's just tough. I don't really want them to do that. But I also don't know who else that they would go with. Most likely a defender, like you said, James. But I just don't really know who to expect the Patriots to go for. I just hope it's not a quarterback. Yeah, one, the big glaring team that I'm seeing in possibly the worst position is honestly probably Atlanta because they're stuck right now with an aging quarterback in Matt Ryan. Julio Jones, still a great receiver, but he's also getting up there in age. They have Calvin Ridley, who's a young stud of a receiver, but that defense has honestly never been good. They have a new head coach coming in. Dan Quinn was let go because they continued to keep on choking leads away. Um, but the Falcons right now, just where do you go? Because uh, you have to figure out the direction that you want to take with your franchise, and they have a top five pick right now, and they said that they want to keep Matt Ryan, so are they going to go defense, or are they going to go for another receiver or something? I mean, I just I feel that they're in the worst position right now because they don't have really an identity of what they want to do for the next five years of this franchise. I don't know if they're going to have – Matt Ryan continue to play for the next couple of years, or this might be his last year in Atlanta, but I'm very curious to see. And there's a lot of question marks around there for me, but regarding the Patriots, the most likely scenario I see is probably bill trading back 
the only time that I can remember Bill actually trading up in the first round is for Chandler Jones. He moved up, I think it was five or six picks. I don't remember who he traded with, but he did move up to take him. Um, but 15, like you said, James, there's a lot of teams that are going to want quarterbacks. And honestly, people complain about the Jets constantly being just missing out on Trevor Lawrence, but they're in a very good position, I think, right now, where honestly, because of that, they can take any player and no one will really complain because they have so many needs on the entire front that, oh, if you need a receiver, okay, you can give Sam Donald another year. Oh, you need defense? Okay, you can take another defensive lineman. So there's so many directions the Jets can take, which I think is very helpful for their drafting and scouting team. Um, yeah, and anything else you guys want to touch on? Uh, in the draft particularly, not really, I don't think. I don't know about you, James. Well, if I can bounce it to another segment, um, we all know how Bill Belichick has drafted wide receivers in the past. So a big question we have coming into this year is, do you guys expect Julian Edelman to be back with the Patriots next year? Ooh, it's, that's going to be a tough one. I want him back with the Patriots. I hope he's back. But honestly, like, it, I think we talked about, about this before. It really will not surprise me whatsoever if he gets released by the Patriots. I was reading one article recently. Apparently, his knee is a lot worse than people actually thought. Obviously, he had injuries all season long last year, so that's why he wasn't really per- performing too great. But it's – it's really seemed like his knee, knee rehab isn't going as well as it should have been. So I, I just won't be surprised at all if Bill decides to cut him. And if he does decide to cut Edelman, I think we all know where he'll probably end up. Yeah, definitely. If he, if he's leaving New England, he's 100% going to Tampa. And I, I, I think it'd be for, very funny to see just two slot receivers lined up right next to each other and Scotty Miller and Julian Edelman just right there on just completely on one side of the field with Gronkowski uh, and then everybody else. I don't know. That would just be kind of funny to me. But Julian Edelman has always been known as kind of a warrior on the field. That's why he's called Minitron. He takes beatings, but he gets up. But he's, what, 35 now? I mean, those beatings have taken a toll on his physical health. And, you know, with rumors coming out that his recovery is not going as well as it should, um, I honestly, I fully doubt that he's going to be able to play all 16 games of this upcoming season. I don't think there's any chance that that's going to happen. I just think injuries are going to derail at least a couple of games um, this year. But even then, um, last year when he did play, he wasn't even all that productive for Cam, if you guys remember. Just since our receiving core was so pedestrian he was already a slow kind of beat up number one but then teams just kind of completely doubled him because our receivers couldn't get open on single coverage so I would like to see him back I mean he kind of represents the entire heart of the Patriots team now that Brady's gone so um it's kind of like Paul Pierce I want to say in Boston um right before he left he was an aging superstar before he got traded to Brooklyn, but eventually they did move on from him while he was still playing. Um, what about you, James? Do you think Edelman is going to be coming back after this, after the end of this upcoming season? Well, I do think he's going to be coming back, but if the question was, do I want him back? Honestly, after seeing him the last couple of years and how much he has to offer, if he, if he didn't lead the lead, the league, sorry, I don't know why I can't speak right now, in drops last year, he was definitely towards the top. It seemed like every time he was open, he was dropping a pass. Um, but maybe we all know where he came from. There is a position on the Patriots of need, and he does have a pretty good career passing rating. So <laughs> this is kind of a joke, but maybe he can turn back his Kent State days and compete with Jared Sidham to be the quarterback because – I can't see him keep going across the field and getting his head taken off because he's 35 and I want him to have a a life after football. He's given enough to this city and where we are right now, Julian Edelman is not going to put us over the top, especially since we don't have a quarterback right now. So do I think he, do I think he will be back? I do. Um, Cause I think it would be weird to see him go anywhere else 
I mean, of course, Tampa Bay is on everyone's mind, but I do think he'll be back. But I don't know how happy I am about him being back, to be honest with you, because I, I don't think he's quite the same player that we're accustomed to. Do you guys think that he retires at the end of this upcoming season? Mm, it depends. I was actually about to search up uh, what his contract situation is lo- looking like because that's probably going to be the biggest determining factor on if he stays with New England or goes. So the, I don't know if you guys know it off the top of your head, but I feel like he definitely isn't wouldn't be a free agent after this season. I don't know. Let's look it up real quick. If he doesn't pull a Jerry Rice and start using Stickum, then – I think I think he was probably gonna retire after this year. Oh no! Actually, he is going to be a free agent after this season. Yeah, he's gonna be a free agent after this season. So maybe the Patriots just stick with him one last go around, and if he doesn't perform up to expectations, they let him go. Which I think that's more likely than the Patriots cutting him now that we know he only has one season left under contract. Yeah, one question I would also like to ask you guys is do you see the Patriots potentially retiring, retiring Julian Edelman's number 11? Nope, not at all. Nope. Like I said earlier, it's just there's too many players on a football team and too many numbers. I just don't think they would actually retire his number 11. Brady's is, def, is definitely more possible. I just – I can't see 11 getting retired. They'll definitely, like, honor him in some kind of way, but number retirement, I don't see that happening. Yeah, I mean, we'll have to see. He's definitely a fringe player, and he's uh, he's definitely a fringe Hall of Fame player as well. Um, that's definitely a hot topic, whether he should be in the hall, the NFL Hall of Fame because of his playoff stats and things like that. So uh, I think if they were to retire it, it could be justified. But, you know, unless he actually makes the the actual Hall of Fame, I don't think that they'll retire number 11 for the Patriots. You got anything else, Josh, or should we go into the next one? No, I know there's right. big um, right. big news actually coming out of Miami that might be related to the Patriots yeah. that we could touch on. Yeah, so yesterday the Miami Dolphins released Kyle Van Noy, linebacker for them. Obviously, he signed, I believe it was like a four-year deal a year or two ago with the Dolphins after being in New England and winning a couple Super Bowls. And I saw on Twitter he was liking the McCordy's brothers' tweets and a couple other players' tweets about him possibly coming back. So what do you guys think about Kyle Van Noy possibly coming back to the Patriots? Do you think a reunion's possible? Yes. 100% I believe that. I think that's actually what's going to happen. I think he's going to sign a similar deal to what Jamie Collins did after he came back from Cleveland that one season. And he played for us, I think it was on a one-year deal right before he left and went to Detroit. So I think that's honestly a very likely possibility. I think it's the main possibility of what will happen. Um, but I'm more exci- interested in seeing what this means for the Dolphins because this does clear up cap space um, for them. You know, it, even though there's a penalty that they incurred, I don't remember what the exact number was, but they're obviously trying to get to us some help. So I'm very curious to see if they go after a potential number one, maybe in Marquise Godwin in free agency, because I know we're going to need some secondary help because Gilmore is getting up there in age, so I'm very curious about that. But anyway, um, James, do you think Kyle Van Noy is going to be headed back to New England? It would be a classic uh, move for Belichick to bring him back for pennies on the dollar. But if I remember correctly, he Kyle Van Noy last year was kind of dissing the Patriots. I think it was after the Dolphins beat us and kicked us out of playoff contention. So – I mean, I don't know how much that weighs on on his decision to come back here or um, if anyone puts any stock into that. But I do think he could be back here. Um, we are. You have to keep in mind, too, that we are going to be getting back Hightower, uh, Chung. We're going to be getting back those coronavirus opt-outs. So I think he won't come back here unless he takes a very team-friendly deal and tries to build back up his value. And I think, honestly, that could happen because – I was looking at his contract, and I think he was guaranteed $30 million. So he could come in here and play for next to nothing because he'd be essentially double dipping anyways. So I would definitely not be opposed to him coming back in here, back to the Patriots. When he played for us, he was definitely a fan favorite, and I think uh, we could use all the help we can get on that side of the ball for sure. 
I would certainly love for him to come back because, I mean, he definitely made a name for himself as more than just a role player, if you would say. Because, I mean, when he was with the Lions before being traded to the Patriots, he was really a nobody. I'm not really sure if he was even a starter or anything, but then he just comes to the Patriots for, what was it, a fifth or sixth round pick. And like you said, James, becomes a fan favorite, wins multiple Super Bowls, does, like, plays pretty damn good, and then he goes and gets a lot of money from Miami. So I definitely would hope that he would come back to the Patriots. But also, like you said, we kind of already have depth with Hightower coming back. We got young guys like Josh Uche and Chase Winovich. So there might also be too much depth for the Patriots in the linebacker core for him to even come back. That's true. But I would um, like to see him kind of be – in a mentoring role for Winovich and Uche, I think that'd be very helpful because he definitely, since he's been in that system and he's won in that system, he'd be a very great leader um, and teacher for those guys, I think in the future to help um, build around them as the cornerstone of our defense. Um, but yeah, like you said, before he came to New England, if I remember correctly, he was a number one, he was a first round draft pick by the, by the lions and he was a complete bust. And then, Bill stole him for like a bag of potato chips, basically. And he became an all just uh, incredibly pro bowl level linebacker. He was fantastic for us. So I would like to see him back. We do have a lot of cap space. We haven't actually used any of it yet, but I'm sure that we could incorporate maybe probably maybe a one year, $5 million contract. I think that is the most likely scenario if we do end up bringing him back. Um, yeah, anything else you guys wanted to add? Nope, but I mean, I could have just to fact check you. He was the 40th pick in the 2014 NFL draft, so he was just outside of a first round pick. And okay. like you said, he was, you know, this is semantics, but anyways, he definitely was underperforming. And I think Bill Belichick in his system, he definitely gets the most out of Kyle Van Noy. But at the same time, you know, we, I bet you Bill could find someone else and do the same thing so I wouldn't be surprised if the Kyle Van Noy experience was over but he's still only I think he's 29 yeah 29 years old so he's still kind of right there in the prime of his career so I would love to see him come back in here maybe like you said on a one-year five million dollar deal because of all that guaranteed money I don't think he's going to be looking to secure the bag again so that's it All right, a little bit of a circling back to the NBA if we want. I don't know if you guys saw this in the past couple days or week, but the NBA has released new jerseys once again. Um, And the first picture I saw of them was a Miami Heat jersey, if you want to call it Miami Heat, where basically just look like the Indiana Pacers colors on a Miami jersey. I don't know if you guys have seen all of these new jerseys, but what do you just think of NBA just constantly throwing out new jerseys left and right, especially ones where the color schemes have nothing to do with the actual team they represent? Go ahead, James. Um, Yeah, I don't think it's very necessary for us to have all these jerseys all the time. I mean, I know that they're not going to stop because it's going to drive jersey sales and it's going to have people like you talking about how ugly they are. So, because you got to keep in mind that bad PR is PR anyway. So if you're talking about it, it doesn't matter if it's good or bad, it's going to drive sales. Um, I wish, I know we're a very traditional team. Don't really love our jerseys that just kind of look like the banners. Like I feel like we could do something else to spice it up. But I think um, the jersey that you were talking about in particular, was it, was it the heat that we were looking at? Yeah. Yeah. The heat, I mean. Holy crap, the Miami Pacers. I mean, I don't know what the heck that was, but uh, it was kind of hot garbage. But, um, yeah, I think – I don't know. We're, 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 we're putting – they are putting out way too many jerseys because, I mean, you have to remember, they can only wear one a game. So, I mean, how many alternative jerseys can you have? But whatever. I don't know. Maybe Josh has a different opinion on it. Before, I want to hear Chris's opinion first because I know he's very interested in this subject. <laughs> I want Chris to go. Chris, what do you think? I just hate that the NBA just like brings out a new themed jersey every damn year. Like I get I get what you said, James, about like it helping helping the jersey sales and whatnot. But more often than not, some of these jerseys just absolutely sucked. And the ones that we're referencing about with the Miami Heat, the 
these jerseys are the earned edition jerseys. And for the Celtics, it looks like it's a green on green jersey. I don't know how that's really going to work. But yeah, like you said, James, the, the banner themed jerseys for the Celtics, I absolutely hate those. They look awful. And it's just like, they wear them almost every game, it feels like, too, which makes it even worse. But I don't know. It's just there's too many damn jerseys nowadays. I do know there's like the Utah Jazz a couple of years ago had like that orange and I forget the all the other colors with it. They had a pretty cool jersey design, but I'm pretty sure like the Nuggets or someone pretty much like just did the same exact jersey comps concept. So I, I don't know. I just can't stand these jerseys nowadays. It pisses me off. Were there any that you actually liked, or was it just a whole flop for you? Um, the Celtics. I'm looking at the picture right now. The Celtics one isn't bad. The green on green. The Jazz have like a yellow and green one, which could also fill, fit the Celtics. That's not bad. The Raptors have like a purple and black one. That's kind of cool. Uh, Lakers have like a black, yellow, <clears throat> and purple one. That's cool. Some of them are all right. Some of them are pretty cool. But then there's just some that are just awful, like the Miami Pacers. I mean, Heat. My bad. Like, I'm looking at the picture right now of the Miami Heat jerseys. Um, (laughs) There's a comparison right now between the Miami jerseys and the Indiana Pacers jersey. And right below, they have the Spider-Man meme going on right now. (laughs) I mean, it's just – I think that side part is supposed to be black, but you can't really tell because I think – if I remember correctly, Indiana's jersey color is, like, blue on the side but it's like a really dark blue. But because they're so similar, you can't tell the difference between the two. But yeah, Chris, I'm getting kind of sick of the amount of jerseys that we're seeing from every single team, especially in Portland this year. I don't know if you guys have seen those brown, ugly Portland City jerseys this year, but they they make me gag sometimes just when I see Damian Lillard playing in that ugly-looking – no uniform should be brown. I'm sorry, just – I know even the Cleveland Browns jersey has like a like sometimes an orange theme to it, so it's not even really brown for a lot of it. But I, it's just some of these jerseys make me shake my head. But there's a couple of them that are cool, like the Pelic. I don't know if you guys have seen the Pelicans one, but the Pelicans have like a really cool white jersey with kind of like the fleur de lis in the middle, so it has like a French New Orleans kind of theme to it i do like the raptors um purple and black jersey i think that's kind of a throwback to their older stuff um but yeah just some of these make me just kind of cringe at how ugly they are and i think part of it they're part of the reason they're doing this is honestly because of like the sneaker culture where um sneakers are constantly kind of like in the nfl you'll get fined for wearing customized stuff but in the nba they'll allow a lot of that um, so I think they're kind of going off that, but I think that there needs to be a line to how far some teams are able to go with some of that stuff. Cause it's just, it's too much for me, at least. Um, I think there needs to be a middle ground cause the Miami heat, they also have those great Miami vice jerseys, which I really like, like the, I'm talking about the black ones that had like the, um, the vice colored Miami lettering. And then this year they kind of went full, like blue and pink rainbow on like the full shade of their jersey and i'm like that's too much dude like uh, yeah. like that that don't look like the heat but like that makes me want to like take a ice bath or something that that's not very a warm color to me but anyway um yeah some of these are just too much for me it just bothers me when teams make jerseys and the colors have nothing to do with the actual team colors like i know the Bucks and the Raptors, or not Bucks and the Raptors, Bucks and the Rockets have been doing like blue jerseys this year. Like you mentioned with the Heat in their Vice City with like the pink and blue, that has nothing to do with the Heat. The Lakers, they have blue ones, which I mean when they were the Minneapolis Lakers, they did have blue jerseys, so they get a pass on that one, I guess. But it's it's just annoying when they just have jerseys that have nothing to do with their actual team colors. It bothers me so much and I don't know why. The um, Brooklyn jerseys are just kind of also kind of strange because they have like 10 different alternates, it feels like. I, I never know. I can, I can never honestly tell when the Nets are playing because they're always wearing a different color-themed jersey, and it's frustrating to me. I don't know. You can, um, you can tell when the Nets are playing. It's when there's no defense being played. <laughs> That's how I tell. 
Speaking of jerseys, did you guys actually see it the other day? The uh, Thunder and Hawks were playing, and they, like, messed up, and they were basically both wearing a type of red jersey in the first half. Or, no, maybe it was the Hawks were wearing red and the Thunder were wearing, like, an orangish red. But when you would look at it on TV, it just looked too similar. So the Thunder ended up coming out with, like, white jerseys in the second half. It was just – it's a shit show, to be honest, sometimes with these jerseys. Where did the Thunder get the color red from? I mean, where, where did that come from? That's kind of strange. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I don't yeah. know if we have anything else you boys want to talk about. There's March Madness, but, I mean, we don't haven't been paying too much attention to it, but, I mean – March Madness, it's looking like it's coming back in a couple of weeks. I'm excited. I don't know if you how excited you guys are, but I can't wait for it to come back. When in doubt, pick Kentucky. That's what I got on the screen. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that one because this is probably the worst season ever for schools like Kentucky, Duke, UNC, and Kansas, like the four big blue schools. They're all having horrible years. What, that's one of the few things I've noticed from college basketball this season. Yeah. Um, also, I'm very interested in seeing how March Madness is all going to work out. Because from my understanding, at least, all the games are being played in one location. So I don't know if they're being played on multiple courts or they're going to have multiple games running at the same time like they did for um, in the past because they had like multiple um, first-round games, like three going on at the same time. I don't know how that's going to work. So um, I, don't, I don't think it's multiple – like all the games at the same location. I think there's like multiple arenas around the state of Indiana that they're having all the different games at, but yeah, you are right that like the entire tournament's being held in one state, which is Indiana, but I'm pretty sure they like are separated throughout the state. So they should be able to have like three first round games going on at once. Like you mentioned. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Um, yeah, that was a big thing. I'm I, honestly, one thing I do want to touch on, cause I have been paying a little bit of attention to Michigan, at least, the college basketball team. I just want to say, Jawan Howard has done a fantastic job taking over um, after John Beeline left from Michigan. They're probably going to be the number one, one of the number one seats. Um, and obviously, he's a former member of the Fab Five, so he has a lot of roots down in Michigan. So I'm happy to see Big Blue coming up and showing out. So I'm very excited about that. Um, James, anything you want to touch on from March Madness at all? Well, I was just going to make a proposal that maybe as a podcast, we can all make our own bracket and kind of see how it goes. Um, down. If you got yeah. down for that. Hey, last. Maybe for some, some bragging rights. But, um, yeah, I don't have too much to say. I mean, you know, similar teams at the top. You got Gonzaga. Uh, Michigan being a number one is, is kind of different. But, um, yeah, I don't, have, I don't have too many things here. Nothing's, nothing's popping out at me. I think the biggest storyline going into the tournament is if Gonzaga stays undefeated going into it and if they can finally have that perfect season, which I don't think – I'm not sure if it's ever been accomplished. I know a couple of years ago, who was it, Kentucky almost did it, but they lost in the Final Four. So that would be interesting to see. I just think I'm excited because there's really no standout team that is the odds-on favorite to win it all. Obviously, like I just mentioned, Gonzaga, but – at the end of the day, I don't even know if they'll actually be the favorites because there's been so many different good teams throughout the year. Yeah. Um, James, last thing before we go. James, did you have a hot take this week or did nothing stand out to you? Oh, yeah, that was on my shoulder, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> the hot take I have. You know what? I will, I will come up with one right here on the spot. <laughs> A hot take that I'm going to have is – oh, God. Red <laughs> Sox from the AL East. Oh, my God. Well, I'll, I'll lose my spot on the podcast, I think, if I say that. Um, <laughs> my hot take for this week will be the Patriots will have – the Patriots will take a quarterback in the first round of the upcoming NFL draft. Is it going to be much a- of a hot take because they've kind of been linked with Mac Jones, but I do think that if 
Well, actually, I should put a. <laughs> I'm gonna put an asterisk next to this hot take. Um, <laughs> they won't obviously take a quarterback if Cam Newton comes back, but I myself am hoping that that doesn't happen. I know Chris, you want him back in here, but I don't think <laughs> I can take another year of Cam Newton. So my hot take for the week is that the Patriots will use their high draft capital and actually select the quarterback. Do you think it'll be at 15, or do you think they're gonna move up or up to get a quarterback? I think they're gonna. That well, the Patriots usually don't do that, but I think, I think they're gonna see some quarterbacks fly off the board early, and I do think that they're gonna end up packaging to move up, even if it's maybe to, let's say twelve. Um, you know, actually, it would be interesting if they could, maybe work out a deal with San Francisco actually at twelve, and possibly try to bring back in Jimmy Garoppolo, because um, I think I think they're ready to move on from Jimmy Garoppolo, and I think Bill Belichick has unfinished business with him. So I don't know what the trade would be, but I think I think they definitely will move up. Um, I don't think they're going to stay at 15. That's that's my thoughts on it. I think they have to move up if they're going to pick a quarterback. Because I don't think Mac Jones – Mac Jones might not even be there. I know that's kind of crazy to say because he's was never projected this high, but I think with the way quarterbacks are going to be going during the draft, I think they're going to have to eventually move up. Yeah. Um, One thing I would like to say is that I saw a report earlier today that says the Patriots right now, as it stands, if they're not bringing Cam Newton back, they're probably going to have a rookie quarterback um, be starting for this upcoming season. So Bill is definitely going to take a good hard look at quarterbacks um, for this draft. I remember that I, I remember reading that they're scouting all these guys Hardcore. Bill has done that in the past before with first-round quarterbacks because that's kind of a lot of the procedure. But now I think there's a different emphasis on it because it's a huge emphasis and need that they need, pun intended. Um, But I don't know if it's going to be any guy in the first round because Bill in the past, he took Ryan Mallett and Jimmy Garoppolo both in the second round. Then he took Brissett in the third round, I believe. So I don't know if he's actually willing to value a quarterback in the first round, um, but we need one so badly. So I'm very curious to see if he actually does that. But anyway, um, anything else you guys I mean, wanted the, to add? The man got, I was going to say, the man got super lucky with Tom Brady. So I hope he's not expecting a superstar to just fall into his lap in the sixth round. So I think, um, Hopefully this last year was a wake-up call, and hopefully he drafts a quarterback. I, I want him to. I want him to do something because I don't want to see. Bottom line is I don't want to see Cam Newton for another year because I think that would just be a wasted year. So even if it's not for him to start this year, just I would like to see us draft a quarterback and maybe have him sit for a year. But um, like you said, I I don't know if that's going to happen. But I think if I had to make a hot take today, I think that. Out of all the years, I think this would be the year that we move up in the draft and take a quarterback. That's my final thoughts on it. Yeah. All right. I just want Cam Newton on the Patriots again. I don't care. <laughs> all right. We'll see, who, we'll see who wins this battle then. That's going to do it for episode four of the Best at Beantown podcast. I'm Josh Shapiro. You just heard Chris Lewa and James Sampson talking. Thanks for tuning in. And we will see you guys next week, right before March Madness starts. So we'll have a lot more in-depth look at what's going on over there in Indiana. So again, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you guys next week.